Jamie, are you thinking critically? Some brief follow-up to episodes one and two. And how should believers approach mental health questions? This is On Life, a Unified Heterogeneity with Jamie Sinclair. Episode three. Hello and welcome. So glad you are listening. Uh, hey, if you're enjoying, please subscribe, rate, review, uh, trying to, to build something here. If you find that the content helpful or thought-provoking, please tell a friend uh, to give it a listen. Spread, spread the word. And also any feedback you have, uh, questions or content areas for me to discuss on podcast, please let me know. Shoot me a text. The number for the podcast is 315-566-0056. And I have that number set up, so go straight to my email labeled for the podcast. So hopefully I don't miss anything from any of you. Okay, let's dive right in. I have been hearing from a bunch of you. Thank you very much for sharing. Uh, one, one bit of follow-up from episode one, we discussed briefly just some of the, the conspiracy theories regarding the, the shutdown and potential vaccines and stuff with Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci. So here is one message. A bit of pushback here on your thoughts on conspiracy theories concerning COVID-19. I can totally appreciate your insistence on serious data to back up dubious claims, yet you merely gave your opinion, not any facts, to say, I could totally believe Bill Gates would want to make money off a vaccine. I think your opinion is just as valid as anyone's when it's not backed up with data slash hard facts. Okay, great observation. Um, I agree that uh, my opinions are just as valid as anyone's. Um, the, the, the question is, yeah, reasoning and data. So... So a, a brief analogy, when I was in college, I took calculus and I was not good at high school algebra. In fact, I'm still quite, quite slow and really just generally I'm, I'm bad at algebra. Uh, so calculus was a bit intimidating, but I had this professor, Professor Clawitter, and she was uh, enthusiastic about mathematics and she was so excited to see her students learn and Somehow, she went about even her, her algebraic uh, manipulation of numbers. She, she broke it down step by step in a way where I could follow along. Um, she was a great mathematician. I'm sure she could have done most of it in her head, but she would painstakingly put details out and explain her reasoning, and I loved it. It helped me grow so much, and, and I actually went from, I don't know, I think I got like a 70-something on the first exam, which was basically a review of high school math. To, uh, I forrowed the class and was invited to the honors section the following semester where we spent like extra time working over working on like proofs uh, behind the various uh, theorems that were, were used in, in calculus. There was one day, one class where Professor Clawitter was away, maybe at a conference or something, and uh, someone else came in and, and substituted for her. And he was great. He was certainly he was a very competent math teacher, uh, great at math. But one of the things I noticed instantly was he did the algebraic manipulation so quickly and skipped steps that I was entirely lost trying to follow his work as he was teaching. Um, so I appreciate this pushback because uh, I do think there is some good reasoning under uh, underlying my statement. It wasn't simply an opinion. Uh but I was kind of hiding my work. Um, so there's a reason it's 
pretty easy for me to imagine that Bill Gates might be trying to make some extra money off of something like a vaccine or a situation like this. I'm not saying he is. It's just easy for me to consider that as a, oh, that's a very valid possibility. Uh, whereas it is hard for me to imagine that Bill Gates is actively uh, pursuing the death of thousands in order to make money. That's, I'm like, uh, for me to even consider that as like a, a, a something real to explore. I need some, I need some information. I need some evidence. And here's why a combination of my worldview and anecdotal evidence leads me to conclude, conclude that almost anyone could be motivated to leverage a situation to make more money from it. Um, my worldview is this, we are all born in sin and fundamentally broken. This Sin includes greed and lust for money, fame, power, popularity, comfort, and much more. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read a warning to those with money. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, who was an overseer in Ephesus, and he said, But the, to those who want to be, excuse me, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In Scripture, we see warnings like this, and, and others, and, and Proverbs, and Jesus talks a lot about money. We see warnings because uh, the love for money, it's, it's, it's an easy temptation present to all of us, me, you, and Bill Gates included. Again, I'm not saying Bill Gates is trying to financially profit off of a... A, a tragic situation, but it wouldn't shock me either. I suspect a lot of people are trying to profit off the current situation. Um, my anecdotal evidence, by anecdotal, I mean like rather than a, a widespread survey or something, I just see lots of instances that back up this. That's very possible. We see uh, anecdotes in scripture, like Judas, one of the disciples, he traveled with Jesus and he stole from Jesus's ministry's treasury. Uh, maybe you didn't know this. A, lo a lot of people, uh, I I'm not sure what they think, like Jesus just magically walked around. Like, yeah, people gave money to Jesus and provision and Jesus actually had a treasury and Judas was the one who oversaw, he, he held the money bag um, and he stole from it. Uh, one of my early political he heroes, and I don't mean like early in history, but early in my life, an active politician. He was a, a very significant member of Congress. I had the opportunity to meet him, and he seemed like just a really solid guy, uh, talking big on you know God and family and community and just healthy values. And, and he, he was pr professed to be a born again believer, and may well have been. I'm, I'm not questioning his salvation. Sadly, uh, a few years after I met him, his career went down in flames uh, because there was tons of uh, sketchy financial relationships with uh, various donors, and it was complicated. There was some prosecution. Ultimately, he wasn't convicted, uh, but I, I suspect he really was involved in a lot of uh, sketchy stuff and, and political fraud. And that was really sad for me because this was somebody where I thought like, if anybody in Washington is the real deal, this guy, 
So anywho, now you might better understand why sometimes I get a little cynical about politics. But anywho, continuing on, there was a Christian preacher that I met personally. We've all heard lots of stories, but I mean, I've known people personally who, who've left ministry because of financial fraud. We all know stories like this, and more than just the stories out there, I've felt personal temptation to get rich quick. Even those ideas were like, oh, I could like... Would anybody notice? And 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 uh, I can honestly say I don't believe I've ever done anything fraudulent or like I've never stolen. I don't think. <laughs> Watch something come out, but I don't think so. Um, but I've certainly felt that. And so it's very easy for me to say, yeah, I can imagine Bill Gates leveraging an opportunity like this for the sake of making more money. Like that wouldn't shock me. I would need evidence to say it's definitely happening. Uh, but, but that's very possible, and, and I suspect in situations like this, uh, political factions and movements are leveraging this. Uh, companies are leveraging this. Um, and by the way, I don't think if somebody happens to make money by helping solve problems in this season, that's not a bad thing inherently, uh, although the, the motive of I just want to profit quick off of a situation like this, that's really sad and disgusting, and I, I can easily imagine it. Uh, I can so easily imagine people trying to leverage opportunities to get rich easy. I can so easily imagine it when it comes to like our local church finances. We have processes in place that just help keep things above board because th there is not a sense of like, oh, I can't imagine anybody who would be volunteering or working at the church would, would ever be in a situation where they'd be motivated to leverage it for quick personal gain. I'm like, no, I can, I can readily imagine that. So we try to have a, a system that keeps things healthy and above board. So my worldview and my anecdotal data, they very much support the idea that, yeah, Bill Gates may well be, uh, again, not that he is, but that it, it makes perfect sense to me that he might be leveraging this for some personal gain. My worldview and anecdotal data don't imply that it's super common and people everywhere are purposefully seeing thousands of people die for the purpose of them making money. Uh, it It's possible that someone would do this. And when we see anecdotes, we, we see the possible anecdotes. We, we see obviously the extreme cases like Adolf Hitler, which is always the go-to, or let's use Stalin to keep it in that time period or, or whomever, like uh, Pharaoh killing boys to try to flex his power uh, or not flex it, but maintain power and control over the Hebrew slaves or, or, you know, uh, it, it, like we see examples like this. So it's possible but but there's not my worldview does not say like it's a a common desire and my anecdotal data doesn't support that this is super common so i would need some fairly compelling evidence to take the postulation that bill gates is actively seeing thousands of people die even though he could help and he's purposefully allowing it to make more money off that hopefully that makes sense so it was kind of a quick in passing statement but, but there was actually some rationale behind it and I'm glad you pushed back because I want to try to break down reasoning like that. That's like the point of this podcast. So thank you very much, listener, for submitting that pushback. Hopefully my explanation makes some sense. Also, you could certainly be like, well, my worldview is that no one ever has bad desires. And then you would have uh, different you know, uh, conclusions or whatever. But 
I feel like it'd be hard to uh, sustain a worldview where no one ever has bad desires. It's, it seems like a, a worldview that lacks explanatory power for our current situation. Okay, another aspect. Um, oh, another question. Let's see. Somebody wrote in and said, uh, you talk about every area being subject to Christ, including our thinking. Isn't it possible that this could create bias in thinking? Hmm. Every area being subject to Christ, including our thinking, isn't it possible that this could create bias in thinking? So, yes. I would say yes. <laughs> it does create a bias in thinking. Uh, we all have biases, and I'll talk about that more in a minute, but let me, let me pause for a second and kind of get, get back to like square one. Uh, how do we know anything with certainty? From a modern perspective, uh, knowing almost anything with certainty is impossible. Uh, there was a man named Rene, Rene Descartes, who uh, he, he attempted a, an experiment. He said, I'm going to doubt everything and see if I can know anything. And so he starts doubting everything he can think of to doubt. He's like, I don't know if it exists. I don't know if it's real. Uh, so he doubts everything, including his own existence. And then he concluded, wait, but if I am doubting my own existence, what is it or who is it that's doubting? Well, it's me. I'm, I'm something. I think, therefore, I am. The fact I'm doubting proves that I exist. And, and so he, he said, I'm doubting everything. Can I know anything? Well, yeah, I know that I exist. There's a doubter. There, there's something that this comes from. Now, my body might not exist. Uh, the world around me might not exist. Uh, maybe I'm not a human. Maybe I'm not what I think I am, but I am something. I think, therefore, I am cogito ergo sum. It's a great statement. And it's really, it's a, it's a pretty genius bit of work. Um, he continues with that to reason uh, to... to uh, to, to reason to the existence of God, a good God, and the existence of the world around him, I think his argument at times takes some leaps. Uh, and in fact, the fact that his argument at times takes some leaps, I, I think shows, yeah, e even trusting that like your, your body exists, that the planet Earth exists, can you really know that? Like if you want to be truly skeptical and say like critical thinking means we can only believe what we can certainly know. Well, then all you can really, you can't do much reasoning at all. And you're stuck just saying, I exist, but I'm not sure about anything else. Um, now, th there's a, a field, a Christian field called apologetics. And it deals primarily with the idea, like, does God exist? Does the world exist? Like, what can we know? And, and uh, it, th there are a couple of different approaches to this. One is, one would posit this, and I think both are, are valid, by the way. One would posit that there is a properly basic knowledge of God, that, that uh, just as we can look at the world around us and say, yeah, it's real, even more so, actually, we have a knowledge that God is real. We, we can encounter and experience God and say, like, I know it. There, there's something, like, I just know it as much as I know anything. Um, most people today would say, like, yeah, planet Earth is real. I'm like, how do you know that? And they're like, because I see it, because I feel it. I'm like, well, <laughs> your senses could lie to you. But yeah, there, there's a properly basic, I'm experiencing this thing, it is real. Well, even more so, 
There is a properly basic knowledge of God. He has designed us. He has designed us for relationship with himself. There's something in us that, that is looking for, for the ultimate one to, to worship and live for. That we're, look, we're, we're worshipful, purpose-seeking, value-seeking beings, and it leads us to God, our creator. So there, there's a properly basic knowledge of God. And, and furthermore, uh, you can start with almost some, some naturalistic bases and just look at the world and say like, okay, the world's real. Is God real? Well, why does the world exist? What does the world point to? In Psalm 19, we get this beautiful uh, poetic picture. The heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words where their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and the, their words to the end of the world. This, this beautiful picture that like the, the world is crying, God, it, it's almost like a piece of art that's been signed by the artist. And, and we see other places in scripture, like in Romans 1, affirming the same idea. Uh, now, this podcast, the purpose is not to be an apologetics podcast per se. We might talk about apologetics things once in a while. For the sake of keeping this uh, response to various feedback somewhat brief at the moment, I'm just going to say I'll, I'll refer you to um, great apologists, uh, contemporary apologists like uh, Ravi Zacharias. Actually, he just passed away last week, I believe. Uh, but he's got lots of works. And I would, I would encourage you just YouTube Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he was a Indian-born man, um, born in India moved to Canada, and I, I believe he's been naturalized in both the U.S. and Canada. He's like a Canadian-American dual citizen. Uh, or he was, I should say. Um, but super, just a very gifted, very thoughtful, very genuine guy. Um, I would recommend C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis is also deceased. Uh, he did a lot of work in like the 30s and 40s. Excellent writer, but but he has this one book, actually a couple, Mere Christianity and the Problem of Pain, that really get at some some basic questions we often have when considering does God exist? Is Christianity true? Um, and then I would most highly recommend William Lane Craig and his ministry. I'm blanking on the name of the ministry right now. Reasonable Faith. Uh, excellent, excellent work. Uh, he is prolific. Uh, he's been published like fifty sometimes, I believe. He is a scholarly philosopher, but also uh, able to really break things down and articulate things in a fairly simple way, but with some really profound depth at the same time. Okay, uh, we might do deep dives into arguments for the existence of God at some point, but, but again, for the sake of efficiency, generally speaking, I'm going to assume that listeners to this podcast uh, our believers, that's the primary audience. Of course, everyone is welcome. I certainly hope that lots of people listen and benefit and grow. Um, you asked if submitting our thinking to the Lordship of Christ might create bias, and I'd say, sure. Um, I, I mean, I, certainly I think Christians can think well, maybe even best, uh, although I'm not going to try to argue that at the, at the moment. There's one great line by C.S. Lewis where he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything. And my personal experience, I'm not, again, I'm not going to try to make an actual argument or case, but my experience is that, man, as I walk with the Lord, it's like my thinking has improved and I see things more clearly and just the wisdom of God. Uh, I'm not saying I know everything or I've got everything figured out far from it, but there really is 
an enlightenment just as we walk with Jesus. And, and uh, he's the creator. He, he is truth with a capital T. That is my belief. Uh, so, so again, is there some sort of bias this could bring? Sure. I would say we all have biases. And actually, one of the positives, I'm going to speak right now from the perspective of someone who is not a Christian. One of the, the positives about a good thinking believer is that their primary bias is perfectly open and in the clear. We all have biases. Uh, we have many biases. I have many biases that I'm not even aware of. Uh, biases just because of my you know family culture growing up or just because of interests I have, etc. Like we all have various biases, but my primary like bias that the thing that I'm considering, it, it's not unknown. It is out there. I'm open and clear about it. When we're having a conversation and reasoning, like let's just say that the conversation about Bill Gates a moment ago, uh, I, I'm very clear that my worldview factors into this thing. Uh, so, so it's not that our, our thinking being subject to the Lordship of Christ means like we can't think well, but it means we're going to be like submitting factors and, and there's a, a worldview and, and wisdom from scripture that we're bringing to the table that, yeah, at, at times it might be, mm, we're just going to have to disagree to agree to disagree because we have some fundamentally different things we're considering. I have, I have a, a good friend and multiple times I've said that, you know, it's, it's sad for both of us because there are some things we have very different beliefs on. Um, and sometimes we talk about it, but I'm like, we don't have to talk about it all the time. I'm happy to talk about it as much as you'd like. We have some fundamental differences and I don't know if there's, there's not like reasoning that would change them because it's not a difference of reasoning. It's a difference of I'm submitted to the Lordship of Christ and she isn't. And so I'm like, we don't, we don't have to focus on that. So, so I would say to answer your question, the, the answer is I think Christians can think super well, but yes, very clearly we are going to, um, bring things into the conversation and consider things and, and submit to some ideas or, or have some sort of bias that might not be shared by everyone. Um, I think the win from a non-believer's perspective is that everybody has biases, at least the clear thinking Christian, the bias is out in the open and you can look at the Bible as well as I can and you can see what what's kind of influencing my thinking. Okay, one more thought. And the question, you continue to say, uh, to reference the fact that I, I said people can twist almost anything to fit whatever they want. Uh, and you say, I see this a lot in the church, among, especially among those who claim to have a literal view of the Bible. Um, two thoughts. Firstly, the Bible is composed of many genres. There, there's narratives and poems and teaching sections and, you know, histories, uh, some of it is idiomatic. It ought not to be taken literally because it's figurative, but I do take it all seriously. I believe that the word of God is, it's inspired by the Lord. It's his word for us today. Um, so you may or may not consider me like a literalist because I don't believe all of the Bible is literal, but I do take it all as seriously a message from God to us. The second idea is, yeah, I think we as Christians, we need to be really careful about not twisting scripture to fit our own preconceived notions or agendas. 
Um, there, there are two terms that I want to introduce. The first one is exegesis, and the next one is eisegesis. Uh, eisegesis is when you take a text of scripture, or any text, but I'm going to talk about scripture right now. When you take that text and you insert or read into the text something you're interested in. Maybe, uh, um, let's see. Like Jesus says that one of the greatest commandments is to love your neighbor as yourself. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second one is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. I've, I've heard people reference that passage and then go on to talk for an hour about loving yourself and loving the way you're thighs look and like I've literally heard this before by the way and and loving the the way you think and just how you are right now and I'm like that's not the point of that passage <laughs> the point of that passage is not obsessing with yourself and saying like your thighs are perfect they are, the way they are that's just like silly and has nothing to do with that passage the passage about uh moving beyond ourselves and loving the lord and loving the people around us now there are some great biblical passages for dealing with uh, really have having a, a healthy sense of, of dignity as men and women created in the image of God, uh, I would say that when we hate ourselves, we are disagreeing with God. Because God says, I love you. I made you. You're valuable. I died for you. I, I have good things to do in and through you. And when we say, God can't use me, I hate myself. I'm worthless. We are literally disagreeing with God. Like that is sinful. It is sinful to, to talk down about yourself like that because that is disagreeing with the one who created us. And so I would call you, if, if you're struggling with some sort of sense of, of self-worth or self-dignity, uh, don't be like, oh, Jesus said, love myself. Like, no, no, no. Jesus says, I love you and, and agree with Jesus. Yeah, God loves me. God says I'm valuable. God says I'm special. God says, says I was created for good works. Um, so agree with God. But the point is that passage about loving God and loving your neighbors is not a passage about loving your thighs. That would be eisegesis. Exegesis would be saying, let's read this passage and figure out what's Jesus saying here? What's the point? And rather than me reading something into it, let's take out of it what the passage is actually saying. And so I think that's a really important important task for Christians to make sure that we're not twisting scripture, even accidentally to fit what we're interested in, but we're honestly saying, God, what are you saying? Uh, we don't want to twist your words, Lord. We want to hear your words and embrace them. Uh, because although certainly passages in scripture are idiomatic or poetic, so I don't take it all literally. I take it all seriously as the word of God. Okay. So, Hey, I appreciate the, the, some of the pushback and uh, the, the thoughts. Thank you so much. Hopefully that clarified some things for many of you. Uh, I'd love to hear more. If you have other thoughts, things to talk about again, text me 315-566-0056. One more big issue that I want to talk about for a few minutes today, mental health. Here's a question I received from one of you guys. Thank you again. Christians and mental health. This has been something I've wondered about since friends of mine and even myself at times have walked through struggles with anxiety, depression, and other related issues. I know this could be a huge topic, but I guess I'm focused more on how to respond when myself and others are trying to address issues in this area. There is always the spiritual side, prayer, studying, memorizing, and applying scripture and other things I may not be thinking of, but also the practical side counseling, medication if needed, etc. 
What are your thoughts on this topic and how to address it? Okay. Disclaimer. First things first, I'm thankful for professional counselors. In this episode, I want to share a number of thoughts here. Some may or may not apply to you personally. So please do not take this as counseling specific for you and your particular situation. Um, If you're struggling with depression or any other serious psychological issue, I'm glad you're here. I love you. More importantly, God loves you and wants to meet you. This podcast is not advice to any specific situation. So please talk to your pastor, be open and honest, receive ministry. Um, I strongly consider talking to a a healthcare professional. Um, Maybe you do need some medication. Uh, I don't know you and your specific situation. So this podcast is not specifically advice for you. For example, I tend to think antidepressants are overprescribed. But that doesn't mean I don't think you shouldn't take antidepressants. They may be right for you. I think they're a great option for some people. And so I I can't, I hope this makes sense. If what I just said didn't make sense, please don't listen to the rest of this episode. Um, This is not specific counseling for you and your mental health situation. But here are some big thoughts that I I hope will help us as believers approach these these questions and, and these difficulties. Listener, the, 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 the person wrote in with the question reference, the spiritual side and a practical side. Um, restated, I, I would say there are spiritual, emotional, and physical components. Um, and these often have profound relationship with one another. You see, I am a single being, a human being. I am body, soul, and spirit. We are complex, but also unified. We're not simply like a soul wrapped in flesh. We are soul and flesh. Things affect each other. You know, one of the interesting things is that when we're, when we're wrestling with real soul issues and, and we're, we're, we're stressed and anxious, it actually, there, there are hormonal releases like uh, cortisol that, that impact our immune system. You, you see, uh, stress triggers our fight or flight response. And one component of that is to release cortisol. And it does a few things, but one of the things that it does is it reduces inflammation. I suppose maybe that way if you like, I don't know, sprain your ankle, it doesn't swell too much in that moment of like fight or flight and you can run or fight or whatever you need to do. Um, The thing is it reduces inflammation by reducing antibodies and T cells in your body that fight inflammation. Now, this is useful in an immediate situation at times, but this is really unhealthy over the long term because it's weakening your immune system. So when we live with anxiety or stress, we actually have a compromised immune system. Like there's this interesting relationship. Now, now Christians have debated for years, maybe debate is the wrong term, been like wrestling with, are we dichotomous or trichotomous? Like, is it body, soul, spirit as like, three different components, or is there just kind of like body and then soul, spirit, and two? Uh, I I don't know exactly, and I'm not going to try to settle the discussion right now, but I'm just going to say we're one being with body, soul, and spirit. In Genesis chapter two, it talks about God creating, well, I'll just read it. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. There's, There's a yeah, we're, we're like, we're formed from dirt. There, there's a very physical component to us, but also something. 
of just the life of God sown into us. We are body, soul, spirit. So when we're considering the, the physical component, the brain is an organ. Just like lungs get sick, kidneys get sick, and, and hearts get sick, the brain can get sick. Uh, I'm a fan of modern medicine. I'm very thankful for it. I, I do think occasionally we get too aggressive with medicine and, and we, we end up causing all sorts of uh, unforeseen side effects and things like that. So, so I, I do definitely urge caution. Um, I'm not opposed to vaccines, but I do think our vaccine schedule is uh, too loaded and too aggressive in terms of a timetable. Like, so, so I have thoughts. I'm like, hey, vaccines have eradicated smallpox and almost polio. And like, so I'm very thankful, but also why are we giving a little baby like 20 shots? Like, I, I, I think there is sometimes like a little bit of a, in the middle ground and the same thing with mental health. Um, I'm thankful that people have been doing studies and, and, uh, experiments and trying to find ways to use uh, the gifts and resources God has given us in terms of an ability to learn and discover to help people. Like, I think that's beautiful. In the New Testament, we see medical treatments embraced. Paul recommends Timothy drink some wine. Read this in 1 Timothy 5.23. Don't continue drinking only water, but use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So Paul's like, yo, you're getting sick a lot, drink some wine. There, there was a bit of a, a medicinal treatment prescribed. Um, so so I'm, I'm a fan of medicine. I'm, I'm certainly not opposed. I do tend to think uh, we can find a solution and it becomes a hammer and now every problem is a nail. And you're just kind of, I'm like, hey, sometimes the hammer is the right tool, but sometimes it's not. And I think we can be too quick to kind of use the one tool we found when we should be a little bit more cautious and careful. Um, speaking of physical, there's, as soon as I start talking to somebody who's wrestling with things like depression and anxiety, I'm going to ask about sleep and food and physical activity. Uh, we're, we're people, we're body, soul, spirit, and, and there's a real physical dimension to the health of the whole person. Um, I'm a fan of medicine, but even more so, I love seeing people supernaturally healed. Jesus went about healing the sick and he still heals today. So, so when I encounter someone with mental health problems, I pray for supernatural intervention that they may be healed. God is able. There are also clearly emotional components, thought patterns, cultural contexts. Um, for example, I, uh, if you look at wide numbers on suicide rates in the United States for Native Americans and uh, non-Hispanic whites, so generally what you'd call Native American and whites, suicides are around 30 suicides per 100,000. This is from the CDC, by the way. Other racially categorized demographics are down somewhere in the 10 per 100,000 or fewer range. That means... If, if you're white or Native American, you're almost three times as likely to commit suicide. Um, and it's certainly you could say like, well, maybe there are some genetic links. Uh, we see that depression can run in a family, things like that. But clearly this is not simply genetic because Japan's suicide rate and Japan is almost uh, it's a fairly homogenous racial demographic. Japan's suicide rate is double the racially Asian suicide rate in the United States. So there's something different about Asian American culture 
from Japanese Asian culture. It, it's not simply a genetic thing. There, there is a cultural thing that's impacting emotions. It's impacting the way people think, what they value. Uh, and obviously, if we knew the exact problem, we could try to solve it. But, but there's clearly an emotional, an emotional influence by cultural type aspects. Consider PTSD. Um, U.S. military rates for PTSD. For Vietnam vets, it's about 15% were diagnosed with PTSD by the 1980s. Um, for, for those who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan, it's somewhere between 11 and 20% depending on uh, various roles and, and like their, their involvement. Um, but that, that's something like 15%. Like that's a pretty high rate. Uh, if you have some friends who are vets, there's a good chance you have a friend who's a vet with PTSD. I read a fascinating book by Sebastian Junger. It's one of those names I've only read. I do not know how to pronounce it. His last name is J-U-N-G-E-R. Uh, he wrote an article on Vanity Affair. Uh, you should be able to look it up. But one of the things he noted was this. He said, Israel is arguably the only modern country that retains a sufficient sense of community to mitigate the effects of combat on a mass scale. Despite decades of intermittent war, the Israeli Israel Defense Forces have a PTSD rate as low as 1%. So obviously, war includes traumatic experiences that can lead to PTSD. But what Junger is noting, or Junger, Junger, I don't know how to say his name. What he's noting is not everybody who goes to war and experiences traumatic experiences has long-term PTSD at the same rate. There's something about a culture that changes the emotional context that people are in. And, and he argues that a good amount of it is the way there, there's a sense of community and a community embrace and approach towards uh, soldiers and, and vets and war and things like that. Uh, you have to read the book. I'm not sure if I totally buy his, his precise argument, but certainly his observation is just fact. Fact. 15% of U.S. vets get PTSD, 1% of IDF vets. And you're like, the IDF sees at least as much traumatic, uh, you know, combat experience as the U.S. vets. Like something is happening here. It's not just a physical thing. There's something else happening. There's some sort of community, cultural, emotional component. Um, healthy community matters. Healthy thought patterns matter. Healthy sense of purpose and value and dignity matter. Um, you mentioned, and, and I certainly want to, that, that there's a spiritual component. You know, I am, you, you write, I'm more focused on how to respond when myself and others are trying to address issues in this area. There's always the spiritual side, prayer, studying, memorizing, and applying scripture, other things I might not be thinking of. And, and yeah, there, there's clear spiritual. Some of the things you mentioned uh, help with even uh, kind of setting uh, our emotions and the proper alignment. Don't underestimate the power of thanksgiving. Wow, that is a key to deliverance oftentimes. But but when I when I think of spiritual component, I, I think more specifically of there can really be a, a demonic attack from the enemy component. Jesus healed many. He also delivered the demon possessed. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. In 1 John 4, 4, we read, You are from God, little children, 
and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. James 4, 6 through 8. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Um, especially when somebody has a, a pretty um, pronounced and almost, uh, it, it can be scary at times, uh, mental health uh, disorder. It, it can, Christians can almost, their go-to can be like, oh, it's just all demonic. I'm like, well, there might also have a physical component and an emotional component, but yeah, it probably does have a demonic component. Um, in fact, I, my suspicion is almost all mental health issues have a demonic component. You want to know why? Because the enemy is out to steal, kill, and destroy all of us. We, we are all, we are like sustaining attacks from the enemy and he's going to try to pry, prey on weak points. And, and so if, if you have some sort of issue... Well, just think if, if you're born with like a congenital defect of sorts, th- there's going to be questions like, does God love me? Can anyone love me? Am, am I valuable? And you might be thinking, hey, I don't, I don't have a congenital defect and I've never, or I think those all the time. I'm like, yeah, the enemy's out to get all of us, but he's especially going to prey on our weak areas and he's going to try to leverage that. He's not dumb. Um, C.S. Lewis, I referenced him earlier. He wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters and it, and it's, it's a, a work of fiction, uh, it, it's certainly not particularly biblically based. Uh, it's it's a series of it's correspondence between a couple demons, but it's a fascinating thought experiment because we realize, man, there's an there's an enemy, there are demonic forces who are out to mess with us, out to destroy us, and they're they're crafty, they're scheming, they're trying to figure out how to leverage things. So yeah, if you have some sort of mental disorder, it could be physically rooted. It could be an emotional thing that's partly related to a traumatic event, but exacerbated by a cultural context. The enemy is going to be all over that. He's going to jump on that. Uh, so when I talk to somebody who's, who's wrestling with some sort of mental health issue, I'm going to ask about physical factors. I'm going to ask about, hey, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? Are you getting physical activity? I'm, I'm going to pray for physical healing. I, I will often recommend people see some sort of professional counselor if, if it seems pretty serious. Uh, I'm going to seek to identify unhealthy thinking processes and maybe like a just lack of community health and and who are the people in your life that you're spending time with and are you, are you giving thanks? Man, don't underestimate the power of thanksgiving. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Like this is significant stuff. Uh you know, it, it's it's important to, to focus on giving thanks. This can be challenging for us as believers sometimes. We, we occasionally God calls us to do two things concurrently that almost feel, they, they feel like opposed, but they're not opposed. They're just two rails. You know, the, the, a train on two rails is not a train necessarily going in direct, two directions. It might be a really stable train. Um, and, and two rails are, one, giving thanks and everything. And secondly, keep asking God for healing. Keeping ask, asking God for freedom. Uh, there's a great parable in Luke 18 that talks about just a, a persistent faith. And it's a parable, so it has a point. Um, and it's not like this is talking about God 
in every aspect. It's just making a point. So Jesus says this, Luke 18, verse one. Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while, he was unwilling. But later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, God is not an unjust judge. He wants to meet us and answer prayer. But, but Jesus is saying, will we continue in persistence like this, this, this widow? Will Jesus, when he returns, will he find a praying people who say, man, not everything is right. Not everything is, is happening according to the will of God. So we're going to pray, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Let's continue in prayer. And at the same time, let's walk in thanksgiving. Let's rejoice. And, and so, yeah, there's a, we are complex beings body, soul, spirit. And when there are mental health issues, it's not simply, oh, that's demonic or, oh, you're thinking the wrong way or, oh, it's just a brain thing. Oftentimes, oftentimes there's a relationship between these things. And, and so we can take a multi-pronged or multifaceted response approach. As a final note, just a reminder, please do get counsel from your local pastor. If you're going wrestling with something like this, um, this podcast is not intended to be specific counseling advice to anyone. I don't know your situation, the specific details. Um, Hey, this has been fun. Y'all be blessed. Send me questions and topics to discuss 315-566-0056. Peace.